Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Kristen Smedley here with my partner, Mary Fran Von Tempo. We are already smiling in our in our recording room today because we have a good friend joining us. And typically we hoot and howl over all kinds of things. And, and, and we guarantee you we will do that, even though we are talking about a tough topic today and the road to this tough topic for a few of us. I do believe that this is going to resonate with lots of our listeners and um, hit some some light bulbs and give some really good next right steps that are not often out there in the world for us to find. Why? Let's land the plane, Kristen. Who do we have piloting the ship today with us? We have our, our good friend and domestic violence advocate and soon-to-be first-time author with her soon-to-be-released first book, our buddy, Dr. Jennifer Gardella. I just call her Gardella. So it's nice to see you, Gardella. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you, crazy, which is what I call you. <laughs> and touche. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the friend zone. <laughs> We're going to have a good time today. Okay, so so all kidding aside, we have a serious topic. But as I have um, navigated these waters in my own life with with Dr. Jennifer Gardella. With Gardella, we do we have found a lot of um, need to have humor here and to have some release of stress because this is a topic with a road that can make you feel a little bit nuts half the time. Um, so for those of you that are maybe navigating the waters of a tough relationship, post relationship. Um, wackadoodle-doo relationship like I had. We're going to help you through this today. Thanks for coming in here, Gardella. Well, thank you very much. MFB and crazy. These are like two of my favorite people on the planet. <laughs> and and the, the crazy part is interchangeable. We have to let everybody know that. It's applicable to any one of us at any given moment. Any one of us. So you you brought us all together here. So this is all your fault, as we tell. I people was waiting for that to come up. My great yep. claims to fame in the world. Forget yep. my kids and all my fancy degrees. I bought you two wackos together. This you is absolutely <laughs> did. It's her fault, everybody. It's all her fault. But you know, so the last time you were here, we talked to you at the beginning of COVID. Um, this uh, we talked a lot about business and resilience and all that kind of stuff, but. Your life took a a much more challenging turn in that time period. And as Kristen said, that I think a lot of people are going to relate to, but also one that, and this is my, from my perspective now, that seeing and knowing the both of you and seeing you as successful women, most people don't think would apply to you mm -hmm. because everybody has a vision of what domestic violence looks like. And you changed that vision forever 
for me when I heard you speak about it not too long ago. And that's what we want to get into today, how it doesn't look always like what people think it looks like. Yeah, thank you. So when we talked last time, just as we had all gone into the zombie apocalyptic <laughs> lockdown, <laughs> and you guys were just starting this, mm -hmm. I came on to talk about resilience during the death of my first husband. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how raising children and being um, the only parent and how you get through and the importance of peace, if that's even possible. The three of us didn't know at the time that within two weeks, I would be escaping a marriage of domestic violence. Mm. It was two weeks later. Oh my God. And I will share. I didn't that, know that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. April 4th of 2020. And I will share that, Mary Fran, it was you who I who called me that night. Kristen, you'll enjoy this. I was like, I didn't know she stays up till this late. Like, is, isn't she good about like nine o'clock? And I remember you said to me that night, are you safe? And you planted a seed in my head, which my middle daughter then really cemented. Don't go back. And I want to thank you for that, because most survivors, victims of domestic violence, it takes them seven times to leave. And I cut in one. And uh, it was largely because of the support of the two of you. But you planted that seed right at the start of it. And at that time, I didn't know I had left domestic violence. And it wasn't mm. until Kristen, I called Kristen because, or we were on the phone and I was, I, I was like, do I file for a restraining order? Or do I not file for a restraining order? Because once you leave crazy does not mean crazy is going to leave you. Mm -hmm. And Kristen said to me, why don't you call a woman's place and they can help you with a restraining order? Called into a woman's place and I was hysterically crying, scared to death for my children and I. And the woman on the other end of the phone said, would you like to talk to somebody? And I said, I don't need to talk to anybody. I wasn't hit. And she was like, I, we don't remember her, her words. I have met this woman since. And she said, uh, you're calling a domestic violence center looking for help or restraining order. And you're scared to death for your life because of what's called post-separation abuse. And we have counselors here who can help you. So it was that spin that got me to realize that I had been living in domestic violence and that it doesn't always look like broken bones and bruises, which then took me on a healing journey, which has now brought me to the other side, to Mary Fran, to your point, when I spoke um, in October for a woman's place at their candlelight vigil and said, we all look for signs of domestic violence, but the truth is we hear them more often, putting my hand up to my ear here for those of us listening. We hear them. We hear the woman who is chastised at dinner for ordering the wrong meal or the husband who believes he can humiliate his wife, the screaming um, that goes on, or the victim's stories are actually what point us in the direction of domestic violence most of the time. We have to all be vigilant in listening to stories because they're telling us about financial abuse. They're telling us about manipulation. Oh, he's not allowing my family over for Christmas. I'm not allowed to go to my sisters. Those are all huge red flags that your cherished loved one, colleague, daughter, whoever is sitting in the middle of an abusive relationship. And it all falls under the umbrella of domestic violence. And I 
Go ahead, Kristen. I think you're up. <laughs> well, I just want to I just want to pause for a second as you were as you were listing, you know, your your daughter, um, your friend, all the different people. I think we also this is what was a struggle for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, the the shame in this was, you know, you're a PhD. You know, I, I'm not a PhD, but I'm a CEO. Right. I am. Uh, I do have a, a bachelor's degree. I do have a lot of success in my life. And it what? And I thought, what is the matter? I must be an idiot that I that I allowed this to happen. Right. And then as I started meeting, when I talked with you, and I'm like, oh, she's a PhD, and this happened. Right. And then I talked to somebody else. I confided in another very very high up CEO in my industry, and she said, "You are the fourth woman at your level." to come to me with a story like this, what is happening? And I thought, and now I feel, I felt a little bad before, but I don't now. I thought I was excited that there were other women at my level of success and intelligence that were going through something similar because I felt so dumb. And so like, what is the matter with me? So I want to make sure that that lands with listeners that it's not, I mean, it's, it runs the gamut, all of us. Um, and, and not just women, men as well, because I have met men that have gone through this too, but definitely we're going to talk about this from a women's perspective today. Um, it doesn't matter your level of education, success, background, support. That was very hard for my family. They are so supportive and, and, and this happened as well. Yeah. So first domestic violence cuts through all economic, socioeconomic, uh, education levels. So to your point, it happens in the double wides and it happens in the McMansions of Buckingham, Pennsylvania. Mm. And don't let her Lexus or her lack of an education fool you. You know, that's what I always tell people. It can happen to literally anybody who it typically happens to. And I'm speaking very stereotypically here from my experience. It happens to an individual like me who doesn't really have good roots in the world. At the time that I met my abuser, I was not in touch with my family. And I was just finishing up my PhD, just starting my business. I had just broken up with someone a few months ago, like I had been on my own for a couple of months and I was spiraling. And he picked up on it because they are trained. So when he was evaluating me, well, when I was evaluating him as a partner, he was evaluating me as his next victim. And he was listening very carefully oh, she's not in touch with her parents. Oh, her kids will be off to college. Oh, she has a good relationship with her ex-husband. We can put the kids there. All of these little tiny things so that he could then drag me into isolation with him. I thought he, and, and at the same time, he was just spinning me and love bombing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And my shame afterwards was actually not because of my degree, right? I actually have an a PhD in educational psychology. But if you talk to psychologists, this stuff isn't taught because they can't really evaluate abuse because the abusers never come into therapy, mm. right? So all of the evaluations that we have about abuse can't go into the research journals because all you can really talk about are the stories of survivors, which is fascinating. I didn't have that shame. I had the shame of why couldn't I make this marriage work? He had wow. convinced me that I could heal his heart that everyone else had broken. And so my shame was the great Jennifer Gardella couldn't stand it enough, couldn't tolerate it enough. I was too ready 
um, I was gaslighted. You know, I was too sensitive. I wasn't working hard enough. I was lying. Kristen's like, no kidding. This is what I heard as well. Uh, and so that's, uh, so my shame came from, I couldn't get the marriage to work. And also this was my second marriage. And it wasn't until I sat down with my middle daughter, Victoria, and I was like, I am horrified as your mother that I have shown you two failed marriages. Now, I don't consider my first one a failed marriage, but, and Victoria said to me, mom, you have shown us strength, mm -hmm. which I think is more, more important than showing your kids to stick out a marriage that you're miserable and happy and being abused in. But it was that, that was, I was shellacked in shame. And it actually wasn't until I reached out to, I'm very good friends with a couple of my ex-boyfriends like from high school and college. And it wasn't until I reached out to them and started talking about it. Like, do you feel like you dodged a bullet because Susie, I, apparently I wasn't going to be the, you know, 50 year old Susie homemaker marriage. And they were like, I would never think that. I'm mm. so glad you're out. It sounds horrific what you lived through. So people aren't really judging you the way that they think that you think they are. Well, and, you know, especially when their their perception of all of this shifts to what you very aptly pointed out is is very much more about the gaslighting. It's about the manipulation. And they don't the abuser doesn't see themselves as an abuser because there's no hitting. They, they've just become so great at manipulating you and playing the victim role. I mean, there's really, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from very much outside of this and yet having seen both of you go through it, um, you know, they, they play the victim and everybody that they ever had a failed relationship with was crazy. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it, they, 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 you don't, they get, they get you to believe that you're the one who's going to save them and it's all going to be exactly. wonderful. And yet it seemed like the minute they were, are with you and they have you, then they just start breaking you down, breaking you down, breaking you down. And I mean, from both of you, the stories that I've heard, I, first of all, I'm, I'm half Italian, Jenny, you are too, but my husband would have been hit with a frying pan the first time any of this happened, but he's not that he's not of that makeup and you don't realize i imagine that it's happening at first like you said you he he love bombs you and so it must be you afterwards is that is that how they get you to start to feel and to accept all of this abuse yeah let me give you a perfect example <clears throat> so of love bombing so i think i i think we were dating just over just under a year and it was mother's day and I had a day planned with my children. And he showed up with his best friend and decided, and he knew very well what I was doing with my kids. And he had decided that instead of that, my children were going to help him with the landscaping for the day. Now, if you look at it from a 20,000 foot level, oh my gosh, what a great guy he came over to do, you know, to help with the, my lawn was a disaster. I will give him that. It needed a lot of work. But the next thing I knew, I was spending my Mother's Day outside doing something that I absolutely hate under the guise of, isn't my boyfriend amazing? Yeah. And my children also had an absolutely miserable day. And we didn't get to do what we had planned because Mr. Amazing had shown up and wanted everybody under his control in the front yard. And that is, when you think about it that way, 
you're like, wow, that's the level that you fall for. Oh, isn't he amazing? And I step back and I say, yeah, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do on Mother's Day. But he made sure to tell everybody how amazing he was. Well, I'm I'm sure you have about 957,000 stories like that, as do I. And I want people to realize, like, start thinking about that, that it's that it's what's really happening versus what the, the outside perspective looks like. Right. Is happening. And and I have to be I have to be very careful with with the with how I talk about this because I will get this is another thing that happens. Um, yet another lawsuit slapped at my front door, which are we're averaging about two a year, always at Christmas. Always guaranteed one at Christmas. Oh, uh, we got emails at Christmas too. You know, holding items of mine hostage, and he decides to email my older daughter on Christmas Eve. As he's supposed to be spending it with his new person and his family, his attention is paid to my, oh, I'm just trying to return her items. Yeah. Which he could easily drop in the mail or drop off. Like, come on. You know, that's the kind of stuff like you, you don't understand the level of it, right? It's even when they have someone die in their life and they reach out to you, remember the good times and I'm suffering. And then they get to go tell everybody she didn't even care and didn't call me. And I had just lost someone that was important to me. And you get, you start to see right through all of it. And your only option is no contact, which I realize yeah. is not an option for everybody. <laughs> well, it's the only option that I'm surviving right now. It, <laughs> it's the one that I would highly recommend that people do everything possible to make that the option. And, and it isn't for everybody. You're right. But if it, you can get as close to that as possible or go have a go between person, not your children if they're young, but a go-between person, because that's one of the only ways that you're going to start to get your brain back. But before we start talking about steps forward, maybe if we can just for for a hot second, talk about what are some things that that people need to, to think about if they're starting to think, am I in one of these relationships? What are, what are some signals and some general flags? I know that there are a lot and some very specific, but what's some stuff in general? That is a phenomenal question. So if you feel like you are walking on eggshells in your relationship, scared to death of when you are going to get yelled at again, you are probably in an abusive relationship. Mm. I sound like Jeff Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if. (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. Right. So if, yeah. So I was walking around always like, when is he going to start screaming again? If you are never allowed to make a decision in your relationship, meaning, hey, what restaurant do you want to go to? I say XYZ restaurant. And he would say, yeah, we're not going there. What do you want to eat? The A, I get B. It always complete control. If you have zero control over your schedule, where you're going, when you're going, you're probably in an abusive relationship. If finances are not discussed like two healthy people, like if you're screamed at because you spend too much money, you um, don't spend enough money, you don't make enough money, probably in an abusive relationship. If you are body shamed, mm-hmm. Mary Fran just rolled her eyes. If uh, you- what you did and went through with all of this, I mean, both of you, well, first of all, both of you are the cute little, you know, petite, 
Kristen lost so much weight and was so thin at one point. And you were what, 117 pounds? And we're told that you needed to be down to 115 pounds. I mean, and and here I am while you're telling me this, I'm eating. <laughs> yeah. I can't so, believe he'd say that to you. Now, don't get me wrong. Like with body shaming, if you're heavy and you gain unexpected weight, that's not healthy. And your partner may, your partner needs to come at it with, I want you healthy. I want you to live forever. Mm -hmm. They do not come at it with, I'm not attracted to this. What are you going to do about it? I want you at 115, maybe 110 would be more attractive. You know what I, here's the other one. You know what I'm attracted to. Oh yeah. Yeah. I heard that. (laughs) I'll even get it. I'll even get even more specific here for folks to really get an idea of, of the mental capacity of this. It's also honing in on the things of your insecurities in terms of body, right? Like I would get a little nervous after I had kids and my jeans weren't quite fitting the same, you know, and I would verbalize that, gosh, I just, you know, I think I need to find a new style of jeans and I would get no pair of jeans will ever look good on you ever, you know, just breaking you down, breaking you down. And then see somebody that looks great in jeans and says, why don't you wear jeans? That's the level of mental twisting and turning. And there's, it's a, would you agree, Jen? It's like a no win situation. Right. Because for me, it wasn't always my way. It wasn't only my weight. It was also my hair. I want you to have long blonde hair. And I remember I was sitting in 2019 with my girlfriends from college, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. And I had, I don't have beautiful hair like Kristen's when mine grows out. It's like scraggly and I don't look good as a blonde and everybody sitting around the table, everybody's a brunette from New York pretty much. And so I was like, Oh my God, one of these things is not like the other. And she doesn't like what what she looks like. I was mortified. And it was one of the first things I did when I got out was cut my hair and start. I no more dying. And I look better and feel better about myself. I, even though I'm heavier, I look better and feel better. And I love myself a hundred times more because that's what it's all about, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about someone controlling your physical aspects is it's, do you have peace in your life? And when you live with an abuser and you are constantly under attack about the way that you look, it is horrible. I wasn't allowed to wear black. I mean, I wasn't allowed to, there were so many things I wasn't allowed to do. It was ridiculous. I wasn't me. And that's what they try to do with the G. They try to strip you of being you. And it's really sad. So I watched both of you go through this. Kristen, when I, when you and I met, you were more at the end of that. You were getting out of that situation. You were still in it. But Jen, I watched you from the beginning to the end. I would like for you to speak a little bit too, because I've said this to you, I've said to you many times, I'm so sorry that I didn't speak up sooner because my husband got an earful about this whole thing. Both of you, he gets an earful all the time, but I, you know, you, you, you don't want to isolate your friend further by saying the guy's a jerk and you got to get the heck out of there because you don't know how that's going to be received. You you don't want her to go home and say to him, guess what Mary Fran said to me, because then you know you'll be cut out of the, the picture. So as 
the friend, as the people around the person that you see these red flags, how do you approach it? How do you plant that seed? So I want to say that while I appreciate your, um, you feel bad, you should not. And you are also not alone because um, my two other closest friends felt the exact same way. And the first thing that I would recommend doing would be to talk to other friends if you have those communications. Like, hey, are we all seeing the same thing here? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know yet, I haven't met you. Call me on your way home though, here's my number. So that would be number one. Um, Number two, realize that you, that I was embarrassingly madly in love with him. It was going to take I'm sorry because I, you and that was another reason that kept me from from saying anything because I I knew you felt that way and I thought well well who am you know like maybe this is just a different relationship but right yeah no so <laughs> it was going to take something as big as COVID and my second daughter who we all know to really get me out and keep me out and so I think with what I know now and w- when I speak. Um, on behalf of a woman's place here in Doylestown, you know, I say very clearly drip information like you can. You know, I had no idea until Kristen told me to call a woman's place that I had been living in domestic violence. People had told me like, this is abusive. One friend had mentioned domestic violence, but it kind of hit me over the head with it, which was not very helpful. Uh, And so I think that the important thing is to talk to her about an abusive relationship and give her like I have a copy of my speech up on my YouTube channel. Like, hey, I just heard this crazy chick talking on Brilliantly Resilient with Mary Friend and Kristen. And this is a speech that she gave where she outlines abuse. Sounds like you might need to hear it. Mm. Point Point them to resources, in other words, without claiming to know yourself what's going on, just point them to you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some things. I, I just, I'm a little worried about you. Maybe you could take a look at this, like that kind of thing. Exactly. And then if you hear any inkling of, I need to get out of here, or mm. I may, you know, uh, one of my friends knew that I had looked for apartments, start to talk to her about, start to talk to the victim about safety planning, what it looks like, what it's going to take, and what her options are if things get really buggy really quickly. What we don't want is to traumatize the kids regardless of their age any more than they've already been traumatized. So does she know where the shelter is or who to call if you know he's drunk again? I, and that was not my case, but I'm saying once her she needs to get out, does she know where to go? I didn't know, I mean, I knew a woman's place existed, but I didn't really know the level of services that they provided. So start to do a little bit of safety planning with her, or at least encourage her. A woman's place will start working with you on safety planning. And there are women who I met in women's a woman's place support groups who were still living with their abuser. And that's okay too. Let her know that wherever she is in her journey, it is okay. You are a safe space and you can always, she can always, always come to you. And that is the beauty of you guys. My friends didn't give up on me. One of my friends listened to me cry almost every day on my way to the office. Never gave up on me. And I have a feeling that if I had gone back, everyone would have been like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Mary Fran would have gotten out her famous bat and beat me with it. As she promised, she would stuff me in the bottom of a shipping container and ship me to China if I ever went back. I'm just getting that on record. And I told my current 
boyfriend, <laughs> be careful when you meet MFD. If she doesn't like you, she's going to beat you to get you out of my life. <laughs> and that's really important too. Your, let's just say your victim, let's call her that, is going to need to know that you are there a hundred, let's put this in Kristen's words, a hundred million jillion percent for her at every turn. <laughs> she can come and live in your basement. She can use your Wi-Fi. She can hide out whatever you're comfortable with providing. One of the things that I always, I don't want to use the word joke, but I'll say it anyway, both when my ex-husband was dying and when I was going through post-separation abuse, I had a list of people that I could call and I would rotate the list. So like, you know, let's just say Monday was Mary Fran day and Tuesday and I would walk. I didn't have my dog yet. And I would just walk and talk to people. And you need, she, your victim needs to know that she can call you 24 seven and you'll pick up the phone. In fact, and I do use this joke when I speak to victims of domestic violence, you need a Mary Fran who will actually pick up the phone in church. Like, Hey, I'm in church, but are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, a survivor of domestic violence needs to know that other people care that they're okay. Are you okay? And that was something that you both gave to me when I was on a technological disaster. Like, how do I lock down my life? I was getting notifications from Google and my bank and my bank and all of these places. And I called Kristen, what do I do? And she was like, wow, you're not thinking clearly. Cause like, I'm pretty much a tech person, right? I can figure all this out. And she was like, this is what you turn off on your phone this, you know, get it done now. Like, and she was right there for me. Yeah. And you so know, that's what you need. You're, you're hitting so many. It's like, it's like these, I don't know if it's a trigger, but you think that you're over all of it. And as I'm hearing some of them and going back, you know, just a couple of years to all those initial moments. And, and um, I think the biggest thing too, is to, to, I don't even know how to say this without saying it. And I mean, just don't be judgy. Right. I always felt like, cause they have you believing everyone's judging you in the first place. And then you're able to call some friends that they're just gonna, there's no judgy involved. Just what is it that you need and how can I make you safe? And the other thing is I didn't know about the woman's place very early on. And I was, I was actually so incredibly blessed and I still can't believe that the universe aligned this way that someone that I knew in my, in my, family in my like circle of, of family was going through the exact same thing. And it actually is a very successful guy. And when we would talk, I was like, oh my God, because I was feeling so horrible that I had not only got myself into this, but my kids. And then I'm like, I felt so dumb. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is one of the most successful people that I know in my entire world. And the exact same thing was happening and having, so my, my point is not everybody's going to have that, right? But there's these groups like a women's place and other places, these people that know when someone really knows what it is and that you can really talk to about, about some of these different elements between that and having friends like, like you guys and a few others and family that were able to, to be there and be supportive um, without even knowing all the details and with wanting to line up and, I'm telling you, I got four brothers and a dad. No one was allowed to know his address because I was <laughs> like, my kids can't have right. an additional problem here. Um, but really having, I mean, we talk about tribe in Brilliant the Resilient, but this is really like when, when, um, when you really need a couple of good people in your tribe. And actually for those people that are listening that have not been through this or that are in a wonderful relationship and can't imagine this ever happening, Build your tribe any like just constantly build your tribe. You don't know what's going to happen that you're going to need to rely on a couple of people. I mean, my my 
you know, I'm listening about Mary Fran being, being so right there to, to, you know, take somebody out, right. To, to be there. Mary Fran is also the, the person in my tribe. I've got two that I have been in, in court where they, that's the other thing with them. They drag it out for eight hours. Cause they know you've got kids to pick up. You've got jo- a job. You have all these things. And I've called and said, I can't get out of court. Could you possibly go pick up my kid? And they don't just, Mary Fran just doesn't pick them up. They go to Dairy Queen, they have a whole hootenanny, and my kids are, and I think that is so important because in this, in this, I don't even know what the word for it is, nightmare, we're always, um, I was always thinking about the impact on my kids and letting my kids down, and now here's another situation. And then when you have somebody come along that, not only am I going to pick them up because you're stuck in court, we're going to have Dairy Queen, and and my kids would come in the house with this phenomenal story of the most fun they just had. As opposed to, oh, got stuck in court and I got stuck waiting for a ride. And that never happened because right. I've, I've, I've gotten, my tribe has gotten very small. You know, like you said, Gardella, running through, you know, don't call everybody all, you know, in a row, like run through it all. Um, but I think it's very important for all aspects of life to have tribe members that not only will they do that for you, but that you're that tribe member for somebody else. And I'm going to add to that based on an experience I had this weekend. You also want people in your tribe, if you've gone through this, who aren't going to let you stay stuck. Mm. And that's the resilience part of it. I'm bringing you back to your own podcast, ladies. Right? <laughs> Thank you Like for that. you have got to pick yourself up, heal, or you're just going to hurt the next person you try to be with, or you're just going to further hurt yourself, or you're going to damage your kids even more. And one in my life ever told me what I wanted to hear. They all told me what I needed to hear. The night before I filed for a restraining order, I called Mary Fran. I'm like, I could stay up all night putting all this together. Is it really worth it? Should I do it? And she goes, I don't think you have a choice. Tell him to stop. Someone's got to tell him to stop. And I was like, I don't want to tell him to stop. And who was I calling from the courthouse? And I called Kristen leaving the courthouse. I mean, you know, you need people who are like, keep going, learn to protect yourself, go to support group, who's your therapist, you know, the whole, I went full in on getting a PhD in healing and, but it was because I had a group behind me who wasn't going to let me slip back again. You know, we're like, poor my poor, poor boyfriend now, I'm like, okay, so before we commit to anything, you have to meet the following people. One is in <laughs> South Carolina. And if anyone senses any red flags, you, my dear, are out the window. And he was like, okay, I think you're fabulous, but this is a little extreme. And I was like, nope, it is not. You know, and so that's like, that's really what you need. You need people who are in your corner and will say, you know, this isn't healthy. Like I had a relationship earlier on in my healing journey that wasn't healthy. And people were like, this isn't healthy. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that you say this um, about this whole idea of of not staying stuck, because I think that's I think Kristen made the point earlier that or Jenny, it was you about people. It takes them sometimes seven times to leave. And that's because it's not easy to walk out on those, you know, just the systems that you have in place to live your life. You have to figure that stuff all out. And you do need people who are going to say to you, look, I'll help you. We'll figure this out together. You need to find your next together. 
with, and it's got to be with those other people who are willing to, to be there for you and help you move on and help you figure those things out. Because I would imagine that 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 abuser makes you think you can't do it on your own. Oh, You're never oh. going to be able to do it without. That's me. the M.O. Society right. tells you you can't do it on your own. If you're a sir, if you're a victim of domestic violence, attempting to leave a relationship, and you are on a mortgage, and yeah. you do not have a significant income, you cannot rent an apartment. Yeah. That was startling to me. I signed a waiver that said that they could take my four hundred one k because my income wasn't high enough. Like, and thank God I had the 401k or the, and the savings account. Like I, there was so much that I had to claim that I would give them if I couldn't pay my rent is my point because my income wasn't high enough. And they asked me the question, if you are on the mortgage of that house, you are responsible for it. And even if you leave, you can't, we can't, there's no way we could take you. And I was like, huh? (laughs) So Back to, again, your initial point, and, and we are trying to leave people with some some really solid, um, you know, tips, build that tribe, find those people who are going to be with you no matter what, and who even if they don't know how to do this stuff will help you figure it out, because it takes a village, it, it, it takes a village to, you know, in the best of circumstances for all of us to support one another. But, you know, as I've really seen with both of you, when you make that decision to to get away from that, everything in your life is just this little thin piece of brittle glass that could shatter at any moment, as could your resolve to walk out. So from the perspective of someone who has seen this on the outside, I just want to encourage anybody there who sees someone that you love struggling don't don't ever turn your back, don't ever leave them, don't ever and make sure they know that you will help them regardless of what their decisions are, like you said, Jenny. So I I can't thank you enough for coming here and talking to us about this. When you talked initially about hearing abuse more than seeing it, it's not always broken bones. That hit me like a ton of bricks. That's probably a really bad analogy to use, but it did. (laughs) But it did. So um, where can we find more out about you and all of your, the things that you've put online have been so helpful to people. Where can we find more of this? So during Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I did leave 31 days of domestic violence awareness posts. So if you are wondering what it looks like, I outlined it all there. Um, And I am building domestic violence into each piece of my life as an advocate, working with judges, volunteer, being trained as a volunteer myself and speaking. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that as I build it, I'm building it into my website, jennifergardella.com. My book will be coming out. So stay tuned because I will ask these lovely ladies to have me back on so we can talk specifically about how everyone can buy my book in the future. And in my real life, which funds all of the work that I do, you can find out more about social media, blogging and digital marketing at thegardellagroup.com. And I would like to, before we wrap this up completely, I would like to just say you are now living in a, in a home, right? And, and let's just tell people where you're at right now so that people understand what it's like on the other side of all of this. Yeah, I have two really good stories. So I do want to get back to a story, though, that I really want to tell. When you are, um, my daughter was in an abusive relationship. And I flew down in the middle of COVID to see her for her birthday. And her boyfriend was abusive, abusive to her. I know how hard it is for people to say, 
he doesn't treat you properly. He picks on you a lot. And then be able to say, I've got your back if you want to run. She got mm-hmm. out within like a month. So it is possible. Okay, now on to me. Um, I am in my still in where I was rent- renting. It works for me. So it's working right now. I have taken my business from a measly pittance <laughs> that I was making as I left since all of my time was consumed with my abuser to now what would be considered a thriving business, which is amazing. I am in a, and Mary, you both have met my boyfriend, a loving, committed relationship based on a whole bunch of mutual crazy, where we can talk about things, no one yells. Um, It is, I used to call it the internship, like, huh, this feels kind of weird. But I have to get, and I have to get used to this over here where we throw bridal showers for each other's kids and drive out to Pittsburgh and, you know, to pick up my daughter from law school. He's always right there with me where there's zero judgment, but I want to caution people, especially those who are out there flailing as wounded birds, because I've met a lot of them. You need to do the work. And the beautiful part about it is that the therapy and help for you is free. So don't Mm -hmm. worry. I did Real quick, I did probably eight sessions of crisis counseling, 20 sessions of talk trauma therapy. I went into 10 sessions of EMDR, which is crazy expensive therapy to do for survivors of domestic violence, all gratis on a woman's place. Mm. And then during that time, I also logged into countless support groups and three full eight-week educational programs. Wow. But you have to do the work. You you have to do the work and then you buy this great book called Calling in the One and you find the great man and you get a dog. (laughs) I will, I will second the, you have to do the work. And actually it was doing the work of building this podcast and meeting people on this show for the past, however many millions of episodes we have done. That was a big part of my work in, in becoming brilliantly resilient and not just bouncing back, but bouncing back in such a way that it's really pissing him off. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, you know, when you hit up against a wounded bird, I I see it like blaring now in my face. Like there's no benefit to staying stuck in this life that I was wronged in some way. Use it as a springboard. If you don't have a mouth as big as mine and you're not willing to talk about it, that's okay too. You know, but don't sit there stuck like, oh, I was abused and he cheated on me and life is unfair and blah. You're you're not doing yourself any favor sitting there. So we are here for you. There's a whole bunch of us. Awesome. All right. Go check out Gardella's stuff. Can't wait for the book and to talk all about it. I mean, I'm sorry, Dr. Jennifer Gardella's stuff. And if you need even more resources to live brilliantly resilient, go to brilliantlyresilient.net, sign up to get our brilliance bit that we'll deliver right to your inbox once a week to keep you living brilliantly resilient. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.